Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to John chapter 14. John 14, if you don't have a traditional Bible, but you'd like one, just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also open the version or the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. And we'll put them on the screen behind me to make it as easy as possible. If you're watching us online or at one of our other gatherings, love you guys. So glad you're part of our family. Super grateful for our online team that makes it possible for people in all these different gatherings all over the place uh, to be a part of us. And so anyway, love you guys. Glad that you guys are back here. I was literally just standing at the behind the curtain and I just smiling. I don't, I don't know why. I just was thinking about you guys and just was like, I really love these guys. So I get to go out and hang out uh, with you guys for a little bit. We uh, are starting a new series, as you saw in the video. We're just calling it The Holy Spirit. Four weeks where we're going to talk about the who, the what, the why, and the how, starting today with the who, and a really teachy kind of message. Just be forewarned, it's, a little, it's going to be a little more like you're in a classroom as a kind of a teachy message that we're calling the God I Never Knew. Let's pray. God, we love you, value you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Uh, for who you are, for what you do, that, that today, uh, the closer we get to you, the, the closer you get to us, that God, we have this unique opportunity today to peel back the veneer, to, to peer through some of the fog that we've constructed in our own lives, that uh, hopefully before we leave here, not only will we know more about you, but we'll be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I'm getting older. You realize that the older that you get, the more you realize that you're, that you're getting older. Like, like I said this a couple of weeks ago, but sometimes stuff will just start hurting for no reason. The other day, my foot started hurting. I wouldn't even do nothing. I didn't do nothing to that foot. That foot had no reason. I was sitting down and my foot started to hurt. I don't know how something can be inactive and still get injured. Maybe it was injured due to, to inactivity. And the, the, the older something gets, the, the harder it is to maintain it, to keep that thing from functioning properly. I got an old Jeep. I've owned that, that Jeep forever. It has like no options. There's almost nothing on it that can break. It doesn't even have windows. Like it just, it came with a half of a door and I had to buy offline. Like another thing that kind of slides in and it's got the world's smallest windows. It's like being in a tent, but you're inside of a car. The window is so small that you, it, you can't go through the drive-through, which is a positive thing because the bag is too big to come through the window. It's ridiculous. And stuff Stuff is getting to the point where it's just starting to break, just for no reason, or lights will come on in it. Like, well, periodically, the check engine light will come on in it. And then, like, you'll take it to the dealership, and uh, they'll run a scan on it, and they can't find anything wrong with it, and then the light will just randomly go off. Do you ever feel like that? Like, you go to the doctor, and something's wrong until you get to the doctor, and they can't find anything wrong with you, but you swear there's, there's something 
wrong with you? My eyes are getting like that. My eyes are just getting old. They're just getting worn out. There's probably just from overuse. And it's like, it's starting to, to where stuff, stuff is like so, when it's far away, I can't figure out what it is. You ever get like that where you try to get your eyes super small so that you can see, and then all you can see is your eyebrows, and then you figure you need to go buy a Con Air because you're starting to get those old man eyebrows. And you just like, it's starting to be where when I look, it's not just where it's blurry, but it's foggy. And that's uh, really only things that are far away and only when I'm driving at night. So if you see me driving at night, you probably want to go the other way because I haven't gotten glasses yet. But I, I went to the optometrist and he told me that I needed them. But I actually wondered, how much education does this guy really have? Because all I did was describe some symptoms to him and he told me, oh yeah, you need glasses. But here's where I doubt him. He sells glasses. If somebody who doesn't sell glasses tells you you need glasses, you trust them. But as somebody who the, all they do to make money is sell glasses, says, you know what you need? You need you some glasses. And I shouldn't go to Walmart and buy the one that come in the six pack. You know what I'm saying? Not the six pack you bought. But I mean like this, the, the six pairs of glasses that are 1.0 or 1.2. He doesn't want me to buy those. He wants me to buy his glasses because he said, if, if I don't treat this properly, then the haze, it'll, it'll only get worse. That's what scripture is for in our life. Scripture is to take the haze that is developed on our spirit and to focus ourselves properly so that we can understand what it is that we're talking about. And that's what I want to do in this series, because in my early formative years as a believer, I was really confused about the Holy Spirit. Some of you still are. Like I got heard like uh, some sordid information about him. I I'd heard a lot of really solid teaching on the Father and on the Son, but not a lot of really solid teaching on the Holy Spirit. I'd heard lots of opinions, like, because I got saved into a Pentecostal church. And so Pentecostals, there's a couple things Pentecostals love talking about. They love talking about the Holy Ghost. And so like, it was like every, every other week they were making me feel guilty because I wasn't, I wasn't like enigmatic enough or I wasn't charismatic enough. I'd heard lots of opinions on the Holy Spirit and most of them actually came from one book of the Bible. They only ever talked about the Holy Spirit from this idea of the book of Acts, particularly chapter one and chapter two, where people spoke in tongues. And so I, I heard lots of opinions. I heard lots of these ethereal, uh, like what I felt like were mystical kind of concepts, but I, I never heard a lot of like solid teaching. And so with that thought in mind, I'd like to spend the next four weeks talking about the Holy Spirit because far too many people don't know who he really is. And, and what I want to do today is I want to kind of introduce you to him. I, like, I want to just kind of ease into it today. And I want to introduce you to him from a book outside of the book of Acts, really a book that talks about happenings prior to the book of Acts. Uh, Specifically today, I want to talk to you about a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples at the Last Supper. And during this really meaningful conversation, really a conversation that Jesus knows is going to be the last time he talks to them, uh, he, he tells them that he's going away, he has to leave, and, and then he reassures them that he isn't going to leave them alone. He says, like, I have to leave, but I'm not going to leave you 
as spiritual orphans and, and to ease the fears that they naturally would have had about the fact that their master or their rabbi was going to leave them, he introduces them to the person of the Holy Spirit. And I really need you to grab hold of that today, that idea or this truth that the Holy Spirit, you need to view him in a very personal, very practical way, like viewing him as a person rather than as a force or, or as, a, as a mist or as an it, Be, because the Holy Spirit is not those things. He's a him. He is the third person in the Trinity. And, and we need to see him as a person. Otherwise, we'll never develop a personal relationship with him because you don't develop personal relationships with things or mists or forces. You develop personal relationships with a person. And so I really want to take like four, uh, three chapters, right almost in the middle of the Gospel of John, and, and look at this really meaningful conversation that Jesus has, starting in chapter 14, verse 16. He says, uh, and I will pray the Father, which, let me do a little, uh, on a side note, or like uh, I was just in Canada, and when you drive down the, they, they call it the freeway, they don't call it the interstate because they don't have states, but uh, it, when you're driving down the highway in Canada, they have these little areas where like, you don't have to take an exit to get off. They, you, they, have, uh, they call them on-routes. Uh, we, we, they have them in Chicago, but they're not as good because Chicago has Duncan, but Canada has Tim Hortons. And so I don't know why they call them an on-route because it's really an off-route. It's a bit distracting and concerns me a little bit as a Canadian that they can't get that properly managed in their mind. But anyway, you, you get up this on-route, on and, uh, and that's, that's what this is right here. Just want to take a little on-route, because when I, when I first read this scripture, and I will pray the Father, I was agitated by it. And the reason for that is because I'm an I'm a, I'm a, I'm a amateur linguist. I, I take great pride in the things that I write. And uh, like I spend 30 to 35 hours working on these messages, and, and the bulk of that time is me cutting out what it is that I should say. Because I, I'm old school, I use a paper and a pen, and I write the messages out longhand, and then I take my Apple Pencil and my iPad, and I, then I rewrite them out longhand on my iPad because there is a a connection when you put pen to paper. So I'm trying to retrain my brain that there can also be a connection when you put pencil to iPad. And then I take my iPad and then I type it, type it out. And I spend most of the time cutting out things that I want to say. Like uh, many of you probably know this, but like the, the word that, T-H-A-T, it's a filler word. It's, uh, it's an unnecessary word in almost every sentence that it's in. It's a, it's a, a pivot word, if you would. It's, it's more, people use the word that more like punctuation. And so because they don't know what punctuation to put there, whether it's a, a comma or a semicolon or a colon, people will use the word that. And so for me, when I read things like that or I write things like that, it agitates me. And so when I read scripture sometimes, I go, why would you say, and I will pray the Father? It's such an interesting, weird, wonky, distracting way to say that. To me, it should say, and I will pray to the Father. It's such a simple, simple word. And when I think about that, I go, this book has been out for thousands of years. And of all the people who have edited it, are you kidding me that it took until me 
to discover that there is a word missing. And so I get so, like, I get distracted by things like that. And it's like, it should say, in my mind, it should say, and I pray to the Father. The challenge is, this book was not written in or for English. It wasn't originally even intended for that. I mean, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and then there's many languages that it was translated into prior to it being translated into English, like uh, French, German, uh, Dutch. We were one of the la- like we were like really late to the game. But so like the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and then the, the New Testament was written in Greek. And sometimes the translation from Greek to English is challenging, particularly when new words or new intonations have come out since there was a translation. And so when you, when you actually go to the Greek in this particular sentence, it is, a, it is a more natural translation to say the word ask rather than to say the word pray. So I say all that to say that the original readers would have read this scripture like this. Rather than I will pray the Father, it would have said, and I'll ask the Father, which just makes way more sense to me. So we're out of the Tim Hortons. We're back on the highway. We're back where we're supposed to. Now we're, after these messages, we'll be right back. Anybody who's over 40 knows that. And so he says, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And you need to remember that word because we're going to talk about the word helper in a few minutes. He says, he'll help you. He'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he dwells with you and he will be in you. Skip down to verse 25 and 26. He says, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, that's the second time in a really short period of time that we've seen the same word. And remember, I told you this is going to be like a classroom. Anytime in the scriptures you see uh, something being repeated in a short period of time, you should pause and you should ponder why that thing was repeated. And so he says, uh, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things. Everything that we learn spiritually comes from the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you all things and he'll bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said to you. Now, look at verse uh, chapter 15, verse 26. He says, but when the helper, that's the third time. But when the helper comes, who I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who comes from the Father, he'll testify of me or... He'll bear witness. He'll be my witness. Okay, then look at 16.7. Jesus says, nevertheless, which he's saying this is going to be really hard for you to believe, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't, the helper, that's the fourth time, the helper, he won't come to you, but if I depart, I'm going to send him to you. Now, we're going to read verses... 8 through 11 in a minute, but I want you to look at 11 and, uh, 12 and 13 because it's really uh, interesting. It's actually amazing. It says, I still have a lot of stuff that I want to say to you, but you're not able to bear it right now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth because he won't speak on his own authority, but, but whatever he hears, he's going to speak and he's going to tell you the things that are to come. And so Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit will speak prophetically into our lives. And so when you feel a calling in your life, when you feel a direction in your life, when you feel like you're being pulled towards something, that's not you. That's not your environment. That's not your background. That's the Holy Spirit testifying to you what the Father is calling you to do. So just in, just in these 
few short scriptures, we've seen the word helper used four times. Some versions use the word comforter, consoler, intercessor, advocate, but, but the Greek word that is used there that is translated into helper is the word parakletos. It's a compound word. And if you go back to elementary school English class, a compound word is when you put two words together. So parakletos is a compound word. It's the word para, which means alongside, and the word kletos, which before I tell you what that means, let me give you another Greek word. It's the word parabole. Parabole is where we get our English word parable. Parabole, another compound word. It's the word para, which means alongside, and the word bole, which means to throw. So it means to throw alongside. So anytime in scripture where it says that Jesus is speaking a parable, it means he was throwing a story alongside a truth so that people could understand that truth better. Back to parakletos. Para, alongside. Kletos means to walk. So Jesus said, I'm leaving. But when I leave, I'm going to ask the Father to send you a helper, a parakletos. He's saying, I'm asking him to send someone who's going to walk alongside of you. You ever feel like life would be a whole lot better if somebody was just walking alongside of you? You feel like you'd make your decisions better if somebody was walking alongside of you? You'd have more initiative, more energy, more success, more self-control if someone was just walking alongside of you. Jesus was saying, that is the Holy Spirit. He's not a guy to make you run around and act crazy and be creepy and be weird. So like he's, he's just somebody to just, to just kick it with you. So you, he can be your helper. Or as the, the old school King James version translates it, that he could be your comforter. We probably have an old comforter in all of our houses. I have an old one that my mom made for me when I was a kid, and it's like soft and warm and it's ugly and it's like so worn out that you're like, bro, was this, a, was this ever a blanket or is this a sheet that she just sewed some pieces together? But I love that thing. It's been through every move that I've ever made. Uh, I, I will never not own that comforter. When I was a teenager though, my mom uh, made me a new one and she gave it to me for Christmas. And, and it had, uh, it had uh, the logos from a bunch of different NFL teams on it. And man, when I got that, man, it looked so warm. It was thick, man. It still had the batting in it. It was like puffy. And I was, oh man, I couldn't even wait. I couldn't wait to sleep underneath that comforter. And so that night I put it on my bed, and it was crawling into the bed. And my mom's walking by me and she's like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. What are you doing? That, that comforter's not for using. That comforter's for looking. That comforter's just for show. <laughs> and I wonder how many believers have a comforter that's not for using. A comforter that's just for show. How about they look the part, but they're all show, no go. They can shout and sing and spit and sweat. They can put on a show, but their lives are jacked up. Their marriages are falling apart and their finances are in ruins and they have no idea how to treat people. They, they can't get along with people at the job or people in their neighborhood. Some people got a, a comforter that's just for looking. You ain't for using. I did my undergrad at a, at a Pentecostal school and uh, 
We used to have chapel four days a week. Chapel is church four days a week. And, you know, when you're a new believer, you're like, dang, I went from never going to church. I had to go four times a week. And I never, I couldn't understand the whole vibe. It was kind of like this, uh, more Pentecostal. People would, uh, were loud and uh, energetic. Every once in a while, somebody blow up. It's like a cat who had a shofar. Somebody had a tambourine at all times. People was tripping during worship. But every service, they built in time to wait on the Holy Ghost. And this music would go down. It's just like a real emotional kind of thing. Music's kind of a little manipulated, honestly. The music would go down. And some cat would play the pads. That's musical for the keyboards. You could play anything and stuff sounds spiritual, by the way. You, you, put, you put the keyboard behind me right now, I could talk about element of peace. Some people are like, mmm, element of peace in Jesus' name. And it's just, play, somebody played the pads, and, uh, and uh, there's a guy, an older guy, he had a mustache. I remember his name was Glenn. And Glenn would uh, take the opportunity, and it would get real quiet. And then out of nowhere, Glenn would say, the Lord God Almighty says, just like real quiet. We'd be like, bro, is that Alfred Hitchcock? What is happening? The Lord God Almighty says. And then he would yell, and it was, I don't know why he spoke in King James. Like to me, the Holy Spirit must be old because he speaks only in these and thus and thou's and thou suckers and thou shouteth. And I was like, what is going on? And Glenn, the whole room would like look at Glenn and he was like, like he, like he was having, like he had a word from the Lord. The problem was Glenn couldn't keep his life in order. Glenn was, you know, hitting on his wife. He was, you know, hitting his kids. And he, he, he was like, uh, in, he owed everybody in town money. And he, he had a drinking problem. And he had all, but, but boy, man, with the, the, the Lord God Almighty. And I'd be like, man, just shut up, Glenn. Man, before you give a word from the Lord, you need to get a word from the Lord and get your life in order. That ain't the Holy Spirit, man. That's emotion. And some of you have come up under this whole climate and environment that is so like jazzed up, juiced up, jacked up, people that are so enigmatic, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. They just have emotion. That's, that's not what the Holy Spirit came for. Like, like the comforter that Jesus sent, he's not just for looking. He's not just for show. He's for use. So let me give you three truths today about the Holy Spirit. Number one is he's our helper. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away so the Holy Spirit can come. Why? Because Jesus in his earthly body had limitations. He didn't have spiritual limitations, but he had physical limitations as in Jesus was a human in the flesh who could only be in one place at one time. He was bound by space and time, just like we are. So if you wanted to encounter him, you had to travel to him. You had to fight your way through the crowd and hope to get his attention. But we don't have to do that with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer. So everywhere there is a believer all over the world, the Holy Spirit is there. So if your neighbor needs salvation, you can pray with your neighbor right in your driveway and the Holy Spirit can change their life. If you, if you ever need a word from God, just bow your head because he's in you. He helps you know what to say and what not to say. So, so let me show you this practically, what the Holy Spirit does. I told you that we're going to go back to verses 8 through 11. So, so look at this. It says, and when he comes, he'll convict. Pause. That was another word that would frustrate me. 
Because listen, I know some of you know this, but before I was with Jesus, I was, I was with the world. Like I, me and the world were tight. Like uh, uh, be, before, before I did the Jesus thing, I did time. Like I, I, was, I had a record. I was locked up. And, and so when I hear the word convict, Ex-cons don't like the word convict. That's all I'm saying. And so I would read that and I would go, oh, the Holy Spirit comes to convict. No wonder I don't like the Holy Spirit. But the root word in the Greek doesn't say convict. It says convince. And so he's saying when he's come, the Holy Spirit will convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then in verses 9 through 11, he explains each one of those things with a because. He, he says, he'll convince the world of sin because they don't believe in me. The only reason that the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin is because you don't believe in Jesus. He's, he's not trying to make you feel bad or make you feel guilty. He's not trying to condemn you. He's trying to help you understand that you need a savior. It's later reflected by Paul in, in 1 Corinthians when he said, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the only way that you can be saved is through Jesus. But the only way that you can get to Jesus is by the Holy Spirit. So for me, when I got saved, I was in a locker room. And a coach got up and, and he gave a little pep talk that included John 3.16. And when he read John 3.16, the Holy Spirit convinced me that I needed a Savior. So he'll convince the world of sin, so we'll believe. Next, he'll convince the world of righteousness because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. And he went to the Father only to make an eternal connection between the Father and us. He only went to the Father so that you and I could have a relationship with the Father. Had Jesus not paid the price for our sins, we would have never been able to have a relationship with the Father. But he then convinces us of righteousness, which is another intimidating word because we, like, we look at righteousness and think we'll never be it. But what righteousness means is being in right standing. Are you in right standing? Like if you and I were over coffee, most of you would probably say, like if I said, are you righteous? Most of you would probably say no. And the reason for that is because the enemy doesn't want you to think so. He, he wants you to feel like you can never get your life back on track. And so then he'll fill you with guilt and shame, fear and condemnation. But there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit convinces us that we can be righteous, that we can be in right standing with God. And until you allow the Holy Spirit to convince you that you can be righteous, you'll never have a full relationship with God. Third, he'll convince the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. And that's referring to Satan. When Jesus paid the price on the cross for our sins, Satan was judged. And there's all sorts of scriptures that talk about that. But one in particular is John chapter 12, verse 31 that says, now is the judgment of this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. So when God created Adam, he gave him the keys to the earth and dominion over it. Uh, but when Adam gave in to temptation and he sinned, he lost dominion and he surrendered the keys to Satan. And so Jesus had to come back 
and take the keys back. And he's not going to come back and get them someday. He, he already came back and got them 2,000 years ago. And so the Holy Spirit has to convince us that the enemy that is destroying our lives has already been judged and he's already been defeated. And so some of us live our lives like he still has a chance. We live our lives like he may actually be able to defeat us, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So here, here's how I used to see these verses, that the Holy Spirit comes to convict me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I, I used to see it like, like he comes to tell me that I'm a bad person who's not living right, so God's going to get me. I used to read that and I used to think, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm bad, I'm not living a good enough life, and someday God is going to destroy me. But let me tell you what those verses are actually saying. Saying the Holy Spirit comes to convict us or to convince us that we need a savior. But the minute that we turn ourselves over to Jesus, we are righteous in his sight. And because we're righteous in his sight, the enemy has no more dominion over us. So the first truth about the Holy Spirit is he's my helper. Here's the second, is that he's my friend. And he's not weird. Like, everybody's got a weird friend, right? Sonny's got a bunch of them. But you guys, like, you, you say, uh, everybody's got a weird friend. Uh, that, that's not the Holy Spirit. He's not weird. But a lot of people think he is because they've seen some weird people. Like, if you, if you grew up in some ultra-charismatic churches, you're like, bro, these people are super weird. But that's not the Holy Spirit's fault. Those people are weird without the Holy Spirit. The, whole, the Holy Spirit is kind, and he's loving, and he's thoughtful. And you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have to take all your makeup off or put a bunch more on. You don't have to cover your hair or wear a denim skirt to your ankles. You don't have to handle snakes or swing from chandeliers. You don't have to be charismatic or actually even speak in other tongues. But because of weird stuff like that, a lot of people have this aversion to or this fear of the Holy Spirit. But who do you think created that fear? Satan did. And he did it by putting the whole focus on one gift and Whole theological movements have been built on that one gift, and, and it's created so much division, even among churches. But I want to tell you, although, although speaking in tongues is the initial evidence, and I do speak, I speak in tongues every single day. Paul spoke in tongues. In fact, Paul said he speaks in tongues more than anybody. But although speaking in tongues, according to Acts, is the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, here are four evidences of being filled. Number one is power. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? To be my witnesses. In other words, to fulfill the same role that the Holy Spirit, remember he said he would come and he would be his, he would be his witness. And so when the Holy Spirit is, it, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're fulfilling the same role that the Holy Spirit fulfilled to be his his witnesses. Number two is love. In 1 Corinthians 13, we know, I mean, it's, it's like the, it's the love verse. Uh, and if 13 says that love is patient, kind, it's not proud, it doesn't boast. But let me give you a very deep theological truth about 13. Is chapter 13 is right between chapters 12 and 14. And that's so theologically deep. <laughs> Here's why that's significant. Chapter 12 talks about the use of the gifts, and chapter 14 talks about the abuse of the gifts. And so right in the middle of the use and the abuse, Paul says, if I have all the gifts in the world, but I don't have love, I have nothing. 
Here's the third evidence is fruit. Galatians 5 talks about it. It tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so what I would, I would propose to you is if I'm not loving, I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. If I'm not kind, I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, will there be moments when you're not kind? Absolutely. There will be moments where you're not kind. I had one of those yesterday. Had a guy who I was going to buy something off of Marketplace. And I drove an hour to look at it. And we communicated the whole time. When I got there, no product, no person. Now, when you're an (laughs) ex-con, luckily I had a paracletos. I had my son with me, and my son was like, bro, it's not, bro. That's teenager for shut up, like, bro. And I was so mad, and I was like, and I just wanted to talk about I sent him a message on Messenger, and I reported him to Messenger, and I rated him on Messenger, and then I, I wanted to, what I wanted to say on Messenger Marketplace, was I'll be here. Like you like he was he didn't answer the door. FYI, I'll be here. But that could really play the wrong way if it gets into the hands of the authorities. And so I wasn't I, I had no kind reaction to that, but I had somebody alongside me. My son who spoke wisdom to me. Here's the fourth is gifts. So not just one. In fact, Paul tells us not to elevate any one gift over the others. So don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's your helper. He's your friend. And he's not weird. And third, he's your God. And we talk a lot about God the Father. We talk a lot about God the Son. But why is it that we never say God the Holy Spirit? Part of that is because we don't see him in a personal way like we do the Father and like we do the Son. But, But maybe... Maybe if God had given him a different name, it'd be easier. Like if God would have given, like if his name would have been Bill, it'd be easier for us to pray to the Father, the Son, and Bill. Like it would, it would clear a lot of things up. Like the normal churches could call him Bill. The formal churches could call him William. And the wild churches could call him Billy. But God's saying, y'all, you're thinking about this in the wrong way. The Holy Spirit, that's just his descriptive name. It describes his function in the Trinity. His spirit, it connects with our spirit. And when his spirit connects with our spirit, it changes us from the inside out. And he is here to empower us, to equip us, and to enable us to fulfill his purpose for our lives, which is to glorify him, and to radiate him to everyone we come into contact with. And I wonder, are you doing that? Are you glorifying him and radiating him to everyone you come into contact with? If you're not, maybe it's because there's a God you never knew, the Paracletos, who is here to walk alongside you. Would you close your eyes all across this place? Before you can have the one who walks alongside you, you have to have the one who lives within you. That's Jesus. So the order of it is that we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he then gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he's not not the driving force in your life. That's what that really means. I want to give you the opportunity to change that. Uh, We're going to do that by doing two things here in just a moment. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for people to 
to raise your hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact, you can put your hand down and then I'm gonna ask everyone in here uh, to repeat a prayer after me. And if you repeat that prayer after me and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, uh, but you'd like to change that with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to ask everyone in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life, but I don't want it. Will you take it? Will you forgive me? Will you change me? Be my savior in Jesus' name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, like I'm saved, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, uh, but you, you haven't been functioning under the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're like Glenn, you got, you like you're saved and you're going to heaven. Glenn was going to go to heaven. But you're not functioning under the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you don't have that one who, who's walking alongside you and so you're saying things and doing things and going places and looking. And you say, Sean, I have Jesus, but I really need, I really need the Holy Spirit in my life. If that's you with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, so Jesus, today we love you and we thank you. Thank you uh, for your sacrifice for us, for your willingness to to step aside and to send us the parakletos, the helper, the one to be with us. I pray his presence in the lives of my friends today so that as we leave this place, we would be less like us and more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew on That. The Chew on That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Uh-huh.